Hello and welcome to the Relationship Breakthrough Show from Aligned With Love. I'm Matt. And I am Rebecca. This is the place for people to have a magical, loving, intimate relationship. Thanks for joining us now. Let's get started. When we talk about domestic abuse, the first image that often comes to mind is of a physically abusive male partner intimidating or attacking his female partner. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Lee Marks, who is a researcher and author of the book, Break the Silence, a support guide for male victims of domestic abuse. He's also the founder of Break the Silence, where they support people of every age and race and class and gender in dealing with the devastating effects of domestic abuse. Seeing that victims are from all segments of society, their mission is to support everyone affected to break the silence and live a violence-free existence. So firstly, Lee, warm welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to look forward to this. It's such a, an interesting area that I think is going to blow people's minds. So I'm really excited about this one. And um, we're going to come on in a few moments to, to your story. And we're going to be listening later to a bit about how Lee has come to be doing this. And that, again, is going to be really fascinating for everyone. But the first question I wanted to ask was, how do you define domestic violence, please? It's an interesting conversation and one that we've had um, many, many times with with people that are looking for support with professionals as well and it always stems around the same thing because as you quite rightly said within the introduction when people picture what comes into their mind when you talk about domestic violence nine times out of ten it's it's a picture of a man physically assaulting or intimidating a woman now we've asked a few people why they think that is and a lot of people will say that that is the way that it is depicted in, in all areas of society when you see adverts around domestic abuse, things on social media, it's it's always depicting, nine times out of ten, a man's fist with a cowering female. So it's no surprise that that is what comes to mind. I mean, if you take it all the way back, it used to be termed domestic violence, which does bring to mind that picture of the physical incident which changing it to domestic abuse has been a massive step forward because then it identifies all the other things that come alongside that because it's not just about the physical it's you know you've got the emotional you've got the psychological you've got the financial you've got the sexual abuse there's so much more to it um, and the physical aspect of it not playing down how important that is but there's so much more to it I see. That's a really great point, Lee. And if, so if I reframe the question then, so rather than being about domestic violence, what are those things that come under the, under the banner of domestic abuse that people maybe wouldn't immediately think of? So that, that, that's just, that's a perfect way of putting it because you can move the physical side of it to one side because I think everybody recognizes the physical side of things. Um, certainly, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna kick off straight away with um, looking at the financial, or as we t tend to use it, the term economic abuse, which is controlling of the finances. Um, certainly, in some cases, preventing a partner from getting a job or being able to train for a job. Uh, in some cases, costing them their employment by constantly turning up or calling in to work. 
Um, we've had cases that we've dealt with where partners have turned off the alarm to make them late for work. And let's face it, any boss is not going to put up with someone continuously turning up late for work, which ends up costing them employment, which again is yet another way that they're, they're, they're perpetrated or then used to abuse them. I see. You've got you've got psychological as well you know being told that you're not good enough comparing you to other people name calling i recently did an event where i highlighted name calling and one of the reactions i got was but that's just name calling that's you know how was that going to affect somebody and i said okay well let's just stop you right there imagine being called what for you is the worst thing that you can be called day after day minute after minute for a prolonged period of time how's that how's it going to make you feel and that person was like yeah you raise a really good point there i i wouldn't like that it would it would really affect my my emotional well-being that's a really great point that, isn't it, yeah yeah it's, it's i guess these small things over a prolonged period can have a very big effect on us can't they um and i i just wonder though do you think it would it be fair to say that there's a spectrum of different levels of abuse you know, from the more mild to the more serious, is that a useful way to look at it or not? What, what do you think? Quite, yeah, possibly. I mean, when we look at assessing risk within our organisation, you know, you've you've got your high risk um, incidents where you've got uh, the physical abuse going on, but we also would label sort of high risk is is sort of isolation and causing that isolation because there's nowhere to turn to, there's no one observing, you know the changes that are happening within the victim um i think you can say there is is a spectrum in behaviors but i think you've got to take into account as well that what some people would term as sort of your low risk with the name calling it may be deemed as sort of a low risk behavior of perpetrating abuse but the impact over the long term has quite serious uh, and significant side effects on the victim I see. So maybe it's more helpful to think about the level of impact on the victim rather than trying to rate a certain behaviour, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me and me, me and Josh, who I work with, uh, with Break the Silence, we talked about it quite a few times that um, one of the reoccurring things that comes up when we talk to uh, survivors of, of domestic abuse, and it's certainly something that I found within my studies and my research as well, um, a lot of people say, you know, that physical assault that can be suffered with broken bones, serious injuries, that's the more serious stuff. But when you talk to victims and survivors that have gone through all the different behaviours, one thing becomes very apparent. Most of them will say, and this, this is my experience as well, you know, the physical injuries will heal. Mm. But the psychological damage and the psychological scars in some cases can last a lifetime. Clarify a point or ask you a question to explain because some people will say things like, well, I don't like what my partner is doing, so therefore they're abusing me, you know, they're upsetting me, they're doing something that makes me feel uncomfortable. But does the fact that we feel uncomfortable with something our partner's doing necessarily mean that it's abuse? I think what we tend to talk about is, you know, one of the ways that we raise that question with with victims and survivors that that we work with, uh, specifically with men, um, because if you use the term domestic abuse, it's it's not really recognised. Um, some of the behaviours that that will come within that. 
So we do actually ask it in, in a very similar way. You know, does your partner or family member, whichever it may be, do they do things, do they behave in certain ways that, that make you feel uncomfortable? Uh, if so, you, you know, let's talk a little bit about that. Because it may be the case that, you know, from our experience and what we know of domestic abuse, it, it may be abusive behaviour. One of the things that we'll talk about is, you know, when people raise things that don't do make them feel uncomfortable because, you know, it's it's not what they would deem as acceptable. Um, you know, we'll, we'll ask, well, you know, have you had that conversation with them and said, you know what, this, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Um, I'd rather you weren't doing that. Uh, in some cases, they say no because they, you know, they don't want to experience the backlash that they know they may get for saying that. In other cases, they will say yes, and it still continues. Yeah. Well, actually, if it's if it's continuing and you've had that conversation, said, "Hang on, that that makes makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable." Well, that that could be deemed as abusive because you know you've you've expressed to that person that the behaviour makes you feel uncomfortable. And they've decided to continue that behaviour. Mm, I see. That makes sense, Lee. Thanks for that. And I, I guess this comes under somewhat the banner of boundaries. You know, what, what's down to me to determine and what's my partner's behaviour? Obviously, um, we're affected by what the other person does as well. But I've heard examples, for example, of where somebody says, well, my partner goes out with her friends and I don't like it because I th I'm worried about her and... You know, I, I, I'm thinking about what she may be getting up to. So she's making me feel uncomfortable. So could it ever be that, you know, we have a misunderstanding around boundaries or. Yeah, I'm just wondering, have you, you ever come across those scenarios? Yeah, yeah. I've, I mean, we've had conversations with people and I, I have conversations with people in my day to day life as well, you know, where very, very similar scenarios to what you've talked about there with with not feeling happy about their partners going out with certain friends because they don't know what they'll be up to I mean that boils down to trust I mean if you're in what you would deem a healthy relationship you know that that you trust your partner to be going out and doing what they wanted to do if 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 you truly trusted them now some people that have been in abusive relationships may struggle with that um, certainly from previous experience. I know from my own experience with, with my ex-partner uh, who was abusive towards me, I found out from some of my closer friends who knew about it but didn't say anything to me at the time that she had been seeing uh, a friend of hers for pretty much the duration that we were together. So obviously when I met my partner that I'm with now, I did find it a little bit difficult when she was going out with her friends but that was who she was that's you know that's something that she was doing long before we even met and I accepted the fact that you know this this was my issue caused by my previous relationship and experiences but ultimately my partner and with now she's never given me any reason not to trust her and I do trust mm. her and it got easier over time I see thanks for clarifying that. that's a great example um yeah, you, you mentioned there briefly, Lee, about your story with an ex-partner, which I know we've had a conversation before, but it's like one of the reasons why you've come to be so fascinated and engaged in this area of domestic abuse. Um, I'd love for you to share briefly what happened, you know, what was your personal experience in this? So, <laughs> 
the best place to start is is probably where I found out I was a victim of domestic abuse because all the way through the relationship um, I just perceived what was going on as being just just what it was you know this this is my relationship you know uh, I accept the good and the bad um, on reflection there was far more bad than good but you know when you're in these situations you, you kind of cling on to those good moments even though they may only be fleeting um but yeah i'd i'd actually left the relationship when i found out i had been a victim um and i was working as a support worker for young people and i was approached by one of my colleagues who worked with male victims of domestic abuse and said look we're running this group program um any chance that you can help facilitate it because you know we want a second second man in this group uh my first reaction was to laugh and say seriously male victims mm. um domestic abuse is something that happens mm. to women this is it's not a man issue uh and he said you'd be surprised but i was open to the concept because i'm always willing to learn and i said yeah do you know what i'll, I'll come along um and when i arrived to, to the first group he said you know what i want you to do is just join in um, because you'll get a flavour for what's going on and you'll, you'll get to share some of the experiences that, that the other men in the group are, sh uh, are sharing with us. So I sat in the room and they started talking about some of the stuff that they'd experienced and a lot of the things that the men were bringing up were around sort of the physical abuse because that's the one thing they recognised as not being right. Mm. And hearing some of their ex experiences, I was like, wow, um, this is it blew my mind just to hear some of the things that they'd been through um you know i, I remember uh, a story from one gentleman that had been uh, attacked by his partner because she wasn't happy with him suggesting they went home because of her behavior when they were on a night out and she hit him in the chest with a stiletto uh, and embedded the stiletto into his chest which he had to have surgically removed um, and was very, very lucky to be alive, um, let alone anything else. Um, and they pulled out um, a, I, I'm going to call it a tool, because it was a tool that was used. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with a power and control wheel, which was devised, it's the Duluth model, that was devised in America to help female victims of domestic abuse understand some of the behaviours they faced. Well, this has been adapted many, many times, and there is a gender-neutral version of the power and control wheel, which is what we were using on that day. And the gentleman that was running the group, he said, what I want you to do, guys, he said, I just want you to take a few minutes. And he said, this, this might be quite a painful experience, um, but I want you to look at all the different behaviours that are depicted in the different categories and just tick any other ones that you've experienced. So I'm sat there watching these guys and I could see the pens going with ticks and just thinking, wow. And the gentleman running the group, he went, Go on, join in. I, This is what I said. This is how you will learn. So I thought, oh, all right then. Um, so I went straight for the children's section, put a great big cross through that because, you know, luckily um, in hindsight now, looking at what I know and what I've experienced through my help with, with other men, um, I'm glad we didn't have children um, because of how that's used as a way to continue abuse. Um, but then I started looking at like the emotional, um, psychological 
um, and all those different categories and found that I was ticking every single behavior within those boxes and it was just like this cold feeling just went over me mm. because I knew ultimately somewhere deep down inside that, that the relationship that I had been in with my ex-partner was not a good relationship but all of a sudden it had been labeled that what I had suffered was was domestic abuse and I hadn't even realized and I looked at him and he sort of mouthed me you okay and I just I just shook my head and I, I wasn't able to take part in any more of the group I was just it was like everything had just been sucked out of me and at the end he said you know I could see a visible change in you while we were going through that exercise what happened and I said mate I've, I've just realized that that I'm a victim of domestic abuse just like all these other men that I was taking the mickey out of thinking men aren't victims of domestic abuse right wow and that started the, uh, my whole journey <laughs> yeah that's incredible I, I, that must have been such a powerful moment Lee and thanks for sharing that how, how did that unfold then from becoming aware and having labelled it in that way what happened I took a little bit of time just to come to terms and try to understand what had happened to me and do you know what I, I cannot thank the guy enough because he helped me to come to terms with what I've been through and in some ways when I was coming to terms with it I had always pictured myself as you know maybe you know maybe it is me maybe it's something in the way I am that makes people like this around me did I deserve what happened to me because I started believing the things that I was being told that I wasn't good enough I was never going to amount to anything why couldn't I be more like a brother-in-laws and, and and things like that and all of a sudden it was like this big weight had been lifted off me and actually I could look at it and go well actually no this wasn't me this this wasn't the things that I was doing that that made this the way it was I didn't deserve to be treated in the way that I was at all and it spurred me on um, because he needed a second person to deliver the domestic abuse um, service and I said do you know what I want to do it and it I, I was coming to terms and learning about the abuse that I suffered at the same time as being able to support other men um, and it I was see. just such a turning point in my life well that sounds really powerful and what um how did I mean how did the relationship unfold I, I gather from what you said you're no longer in that relationship how did it come how did it all transpire the well, <laughs> we I was out of the I was out of that relationship when I discovered what it was now that relationship ended um with me ending up in in quite a lot of debt um because she was a drinker she did enjoy a drink and she ran up an awful lot of debt and over the period of the relationship um, quite a few times she would break down in tears saying she was in debt and she needed my help so we would reconsolidate lots of debt into one manageable debt and it got to a point where it was like look this is the last time we can do it so we reconsolidated again I say we um, I turned up at the bank for the appointment she didn't arrive um, and when I phoned her, she said, um, I, I've been caught at work, I, I couldn't get there. Um, look, we're going to have to rearrange. And I was in a bit of a flap with it because I'm sat in a room with a bank manager. And he was like, oh, Mr. March, your credit's really, really good. Uh, we can do it in your name. I was like, yeah, fine, let's, let's just do it. So I signed the form, 
they released all the funds to pay off all the debt and literally within a couple of days she turned to me and said I can't do this anymore she said I, I'm not in love with you I don't want to be with you in fact I've been seeing somebody else yeah so I see. she literally she used me to clear her path for moving forward without any debt mm. um, and then dropped the bombshell on me that, that it wasn't what it was anymore unfortunately we had to continue to share a house for a short period afterwards because I wasn't in a position where I could just say do you know what let's move I'm moving out yeah um, I luck see. luckily my parents helped me in the end and, and put me up in a room <laughs> yeah I see so you found a, a way around I wanted to go back though Lee to the point where you were still in the relationship and maybe you were uncomfortable about certain things maybe you had your reservations I guess at that time but then you you were sort of excusing it or justifying it in certain ways I think that's such an interesting phenomenon how we how we do that and I'd love to hear from you you know what were the excuses that you were making I guess on her behalf and how do you look at that, those now looking back I mean with with her drinking you know sometimes she would blame the way I am um, as causes for her drinking um, you know I I did get quite depressed you know when you're constantly put down all the time being compared to other people being told you're not good enough um, which is something I experienced a little bit in childhood as well which you know brought back some of those those memories from childhood always being described as the black sheep of the family um, and it, she, she knew about that and she played on that but it made me to think think yeah do you know what I've been told this a lot of my life maybe you know that is the case that you know I'm driving her to do this she also had quite a quite a busy job as well um, and you know I like anybody can understand you know some of the stresses that come with a job um, and she would say at the end of the week do you know I bought a bottle of wine I've had a hard week I'm, and, and she would quite happily sit there and drink that bottle of wine within an hour but we, we, after that drink then came the verbal sort of barrages of abuse that I got um, you know I wasn't allowed to do certain things um, even to the extent uh, you know I'll share this one with you because um, it is an ex it is one of the stories that I use within the the book I have been known to be forgetful um, in terms of losing my keys so one of the things that I started doing I was I used to have a little basket that I would put my keys into when I came inside the front door and I would put them there religiously now I'd start doing a little bit because I wanted to do something for myself which she thought was a joke um, but I used to work with some unsigned bands so I would go and be able to watch them perform and help them book gigs and help with promotion work for them and I'd arranged to go and watch one of these bands and I said right I'm off out and all I got was a grunt and I went to the bowl to get my keys and the keys were gone and I thought oh well, oh I, I'm pretty sure I put them there so I started retracing my steps and I went right back around the house everywhere I'd been couldn't find them got back to the bottom of the stairs and I noticed my keys sort of hanging off the back of the bowl and I thought well, they weren't there a minute ago. I'm sure they weren't, but I started second guessing myself. Right. Um, and I and, and, and I said, D -d 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 have you put my keys up there? She went, what are you accusing me of? 
and she got quite defensive so I thought I'm not getting into this argument so I said okay I'm off but over a period of time this kept happening and I really started to question my sanity Mm. because you know I could remember putting them there then they weren't there and then they were back there and I think it was must have been about the seventh or eighth time I went upstairs to go and look for them and I thought no I definitely definitely put them in that bowl and as I looked over the banister because I was about to go back down to check again I saw her putting the keys into the bowl I see and I sat there for on the top step for about five or ten minutes even though knowing what I'd seen Mm. but questioning myself as to did I did I actually just see that I'd seen it as clear as day and I went down and I challenged her I said um did you put my keys back in the bowl and she goes what we've had this conversation I don't know why you keep accusing me and I said I I just saw you I just looked Mm. over and I saw you and she started crying um, and played sort of the, the guilt card on me. Um, and she said, you know, I know how bad you are with your memory. I know how much it's, it's concerning you about forgetting where you put things and losing things. Yes, I saw them on the sofa. They must have fallen out your pocket. So I put them in the bowl trying to protect you. And I accepted that. And I yeah, didn't think anything of it again. But on reflection, looking back, it's actually when I was asked the question, because I shared this story with the, with the man that was helping me, and he said, can I ask you one question? After you discovered that and confronted her, did your keys ever not be in the bowl again? And it was only at that point I thought, well, no, after that, they, they were always there. They never went missing again. I see. Which yeah. is an indication of some of the mind games that were played within that relationship that really destroyed mm. my, my self-esteem as such because I questioned my own sanity. Mm. That's right. That's right. And I was going to ask her, Lee, what was the effect over time? You mentioned about your self-esteem, but how did you start to feel differently about yourself with this situation? I felt like a shell of who I used to be I used to be quite an outgoing person people I used to have quite a lot of friends um even now to where I am in my life now I I still only now have a very small group of friends um because it's it's difficult rebuilding after that and certainly having your trust and you know all that group of friends that I had before and no longer around um, I became very introverted um, didn't like going out very often or if I did go out I'd, I'd be out for a very small period of time um, constantly checking my phone because I knew that I'd be getting messages coming through so very much limiting what I was doing and because people were asking questions you know why are you always checking your phone you know you're never out with us properly you're there but you're not there so I stopped because I didn't want to you know have the questions asked because you know I did once I did speak to one of my friends about uh, some of the things that were going on and uh, you know the response I got from the from that friend was mate I wouldn't be putting up with that if 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 my missus was doing that to me she'd get the back of my hand and that's that's not what I wanted to hear because you know violence is not who I am as a person and Mm. you know knowing what I know about you know domestic abuse and the way that it was portrayed within society you know 
giving mm. giving your partner the back of your hand is not the answer because what does that then do that makes you a perpetrator of abuse of course, so yeah. it just yeah. it completely completely changed me as a person yeah mm. even my family were saying I, I was always very close to my brother um yeah me and my brother still haven't ever since then rebuilt that relationship we had before i speak to him he lives quite close to me but we we just don't have that relationship i struggle to keep close relationships these days yeah i see um, i i, I have the most i have the most wonderful partner i'm with now who's so understanding um about what i've been through and you know some of the things that have affected me to make me how i am um but it's it's, it's a progress it is a progress i now do things like this yeah. I, I go and speak to groups of people and it's something a year ago that i probably wouldn't have imagined possible yeah I see. It's, it's such an inspiring story. I, I love the way you've got yourself to the point now where you can talk about this so openly. And I just want to say this, I'm sure we've got listeners here who are maybe in this kind of situation and going through the kind of doubts that you're expressing. I just wanted to say that, or get your thoughts on this idea or phenomenon where it's almost like the longer things go on, the more difficult it can be to to draw ourselves out almost like if we admit something after so long so many years in some cases that it's almost too big a an admission at that point so we keep pretending just wonder whether you've ever come across that phenomenon and how you can get around that really yeah i, th I think certainly the, the the longer it goes on um you, you kind of become a little bit desensitized to it as such because it does erode your self-worth it does erode your your belief in what's going on your belief in yourself and it changes you as a person and you know a lot of people will also say well if it's that bad well why would you stay in that relationship but for people that haven't experienced that they they have absolutely no comprehension what it's like and i think the longer it goes on the most there's there's two phrases that have been used time and time again with people that i've worked with that i can relate to and one is that of walking on eggshells because that's what it feels like because the slightest little thing can be a trigger for an incident happening and the other is that of living with intimate terrorism because you're constantly living in fear of what is going to happen yeah that's a really great point and intimate terrorism that's such a powerful expression and it also makes you think that you know with our intimate part intimate partner we we know each other on a certain level it's like we know our vulnerabilities in a way or let's say our partner knows our vulnerabilities our weak spots in a way that a person in the street just wouldn't yeah okay. so yeah. It, it it makes it even more painful i guess traumatic would you say yeah absolutely and i mean it's that's even down to the little things you know let's just let's take a fear of spiders <laughs> it's it's a fear that a lot of people have and you know i've heard many many a time from from people I, i'm not particularly that bothered about spiders but i understand that people have phobias around things like that uh but you know people say you know my partner knows that i have this this phobia and we'll always make a point of it when we've got friends over who then laugh at, at me when, when she'll reference it. Um, you know, 
I, I remember one saying that they were sat there, they were having a, a, a drink. Um, he felt quite relaxed because it was all quite civilised. But then all of a sudden, this spider ran across the floor and his partner, she, he said, she joked, she pointed at me and said, oh, you better keep that away from him. He'll scream. There's no point asking him to uh, get rid of that. I'm the man in this relationship when it comes to that. And uh, they they laughed. And he said, I just felt so uncomfortable. I mm. felt so demasculated because it was it was made a big joke of mm. and very very similar mm. with like DIY as well I know a couple of clients who have tried their best to try and put shelves and things up for their their partners only for them to then refuse to use them and then use that as a focal point of poking fun at them when they have other friends come around I see yeah I get it so yeah so many different ways that you know things can be taken out of context to create um sort of punishers really um I, I was curious i know you work with both men and women you don't make a distinction gender wise um, but i'm curious to know do you think there's a difference in terms of men and their willingness to come forward or willingness to put their hands up and say i've got a problem here yes 100 <laughs> percent um we've we've looked at it a lot and i i've i think i've had the had the experience myself obviously of not recognizing that i was in that position um i kind of got caught out of the blue once when i was talking to someone about it and they said well why do you think that was why do you think you didn't recognize yourself as a victim and i'd never really thought about it and it's something that i've gone and looked at and I'm still looking at now and I've, I've held quite a few conversations and one of the things that I picked up on quite quite early on when I started thinking about this was well actually when I start looking and I look at you know even down to some of the news channels news apps that you can get which have things around domestic abuse and there's nothing about men at all all the stories about female victims so you know when you're looking at domestic abuse and seeing all these stories about female victims and nothing about men i think subconsciously you'll look at that and think well you know this is an issue that affects only women and i think when you look on the internet and things like that as well there's there's lots of different posts there's lots of different information about behaviors that women will face as as victims but it's very very rare you will find anything about men and I think within society as well, the fact that in certain sections and, and certain organisations will refer to domestic abuse as a gendered crime, that that kind of paints an image of it only affecting one gender. Mm. And I think society as a whole has been somewhat accepting of that. And then what it does is it, it sort of boxes away all those other victims or as... Uh, a former colleague used to say to me it pushes them into the shadows where they don't feel able to talk about it because of yeah. the risk and, 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 the, and the fear of false allegations uh, mm. being made or counter allegations which are then investigated uh, and in some cases they fear that they're not going to be believed because for men they are a man yeah so fear of not being believed not being credible we just say well would just put up with it and and deal with it i get it so um if anyone uh, was listening today and thinking well i'm resonating with some of the things that that you're talking about here lee i'm 
I think this could be me or could have elements of my relationship. What kind of things can we start to do to start shifting this or dealing with it? I think the first and foremost is finding someone that you can talk to because, you know, having these suspicions within your head and just sitting with them, it's not going to help you get some clarity. It's it's about finding an organisation or an individual, it could be a friend that you or a family member that you trust because, you know, you may be sat there thinking, well, I could talk to, say, my brother, but I, I wouldn't want them to think that, you know, I'm weak. Well, do you know what? They won't. Because I can guarantee you that they have probably picked up on some of these changes in behaviour and are worried about you. You'd be surprised at the number of family members that contact us as an organisation asking for our help and guidance on what they can do for loved ones that they know are in abusive relationships but believe that they're not seeing this relationship for what it is. Yeah. So it's about finding someone and being able to talk about some of those experiences. And... You know, I'm going to say one thing and, you know, and this is a big thing because a lot of a lot of victims of domestic abuse, men, women, LGBTQIA relationships, they a lot of them think the same thing, that they're alone. You're not alone. There are so many people out there that are going through similar experiences to you. And by speaking out, you will find other people that are experiencing similar. I've, I've come across so many groups and I've got so many what I would call lifelong friendships with people that have been through similar experiences who I've been able to sit and talk to and just being able to have those conversations and realising, you know what, I'm not alone. This, this, this happens. This is real. This is something that is happening to a lot of people. It takes that little bit of weight off you and, and, mm. and you don't feel so alone and isolated. Yeah, that's a really great point. And um, I just wanted to ask about you mentioned about reaching out, getting help from organisations like yourselves. We're going to talk a bit more about you in a, in a moment. I just wanted to ask, though, about the way that the law looks at abuse and different kinds of abuse. You know, are there certain kinds of abuse which are more uh, more easily covered by the law, should we say? And how about other more subtle kinds of abuse? So up until... Um, I think it's 2015 when they brought in the new coercive control in law. Um, all the things that people could be charged for were predominantly physical in nature or, or threats of physical. So, you, you know, you wouldn't be charged with domestic abuse. You'd be charged with GBH, ABH. Um, you could be charged with stalking, threats to kill, kidnapping there wasn't anything that, that really was seen as, as domestic abuse. There's not a single charge of domestic abuse. They brought in the coercive and control in behaviour law because it was recognised that the fear, and, you know, the, the fear that I've been talking of, uh, you know, through this whole conversation, wasn't covered by any of those. Now, it's taken time. It has taken time. We're, we're talking, what, 2015 that came out, so we're seven years on. There... It's being used a lot more. There are more people being charged with coercive control of behaviour. But it's not at the levels we'd like to see. You know, even with the physical aspects of it, I think if I look back at two years ago, you know, the police may identify over 200,000 cases that they would say are domestic abuse. A very small percentage of those are put forward. It's less than... 
um, I think it's less than 70,000 that were put forward to Crown Prosecution. And in terms mm. of ones that are charged, it's a very, very small percentage. It's, it's not much more than 20,000 actually would have been charged. So when you're talking about how many cases there are, you know, you're mm. talking about recognised cases by the police, but they're estimating that there's over 2 million victims in the UK every single year. And when you're hearing only about 20,000 people are being charged, that's like dropping a pebble in the ocean. I see. It's a very, very small amount. I get it. So the the law is there, but the application of it isn't maybe at the level that we'd like it to be. Yeah. 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 And and when you become come into I hate using the term minority group, but it's the way they term it. Uh, it's something I'm challenging all the time. But when you're looking at minority groups like men, like LGBTQIA, unfortunately, um, and I know this for fact, a lot of the training that is provided to police is of a gendered nature. So if they're being trained with a focus on victim, female, perpetrator, male, that does subconsciously, it's there in their mind when they're attending an incident. Now I know fact, because it was someone very close to me and I've seen this happen, there were physical assaults happening to this gentleman, the police were called numerous times. Every time they came, you know, sometimes they went, his shirt was ripped. He had deep scratches across his chest, across his face. He'd been hit with a TV. Um, so he was clearly being physically assaulted. But every time they went, they took him to a place of safety and never arrested her every mm. single time for seven years. Now, the argument was, and I put this argument to the police, if this had been the other way around, he would have been arrested first time, which nice. they disputed with me. But she made a false allegation against him um, that he had assaulted her, and he hadn't. Um, he, she'd started an argument. He left the house because this is this later came to light, and on the back of that false allegation, he was arrested and spent the night in the cells. Interesting. There we go. That's a interesting case. There, uh, case in point. This look. This has been such a, an eye-opening conversation. Um, it's. I, I think something really poorly understood you know by the publics and i love the work you're doing it's such an important message lee and it's been a pleasure to to host you today um how can people find out more about your work and what what you do best place to go is our website because it's got absolutely everything on uh which is www.breakthesilenceuk.co.uk a bit of a mouthful but it's it works people are finding our website we have details of different types of abuse um, some of the more common ones that men face women face lgbtqia and even disabilities we have details of all our publications on there and links to get to them our training courses and we also have fun little sections on there of all the different things that we're getting involved in out and about in the community so there's something for everybody Okay, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining us. And please remember to subscribe and to leave us a review. Who could you share this episode with that needs to hear this message? Share this episode and remember that the quality of your relationship determines the quality of your life. See you on the next episode.